Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I'm Matthew Miranda, joined by your bi coastal host with the most, Stacey Patton. Stacey, how are you doing on this, depending where you are, <laughs> risk or beautiful Friday afternoon? It's uh, it's nice. It's sunny and there's palm trees, so uh, having a good time. Okay. I have cloudy skies and we're just dropped into the 30s. So, you know, the world is full of all different kinds of things. And along those lines, um, the Knicks played a game last night that was full of a lot of different things, too. Um a lot of guys, just because the Knicks roster is now so depleted, um, today Emmanuel quickly entered COVID protocol, which makes him the fifth Nick um, to be absent right now with that. Um, but last night quickly played, and last night the Knicks who did play pulled out um, an impressive late win over the Rockets, and a lot of season highs were set and career highs. So I want to dive into... Um, a few of the standout performances and observations from last night. And let's start with, you know, let's not bury the lead. Miles McBride, first game all year. He got 36 minutes last night after getting 33 all season. He played the entire second half and had one of the better first game debuts that we've seen from Minnick in a while. Um, whether you want to look at the numbers or the eye test or whatever, he had 15 um, he had nine assists. He had four steals. He he was finishing at the rim. He was hitting off the bounce. Um, what is there to say about Miles McBride? It stood out to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was all of it, really. It's worth noting that um, the Houston Rockets are a very young team, um, and they obviously also had players out with COVID. But with that being said, um, McBride, the first thing you look at him, I said this, I wrote his season preview in the Strickland, and I, he's the, at least whether this is a stereotype or how accurate it is, he's the tibsiest guy, I would say, on the roster. And there are some definite ones, but, um, you know, he never takes a playoff. Even in 35 minutes, he didn't. Um, we'll see if that lasts if he, when he gets the kind of role that, that maybe he's doing that every night. But he's constantly guarding 94 feet. Um, you know, when he gets beat on defense, it's usually a technique issue. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we can talk to his defense in a minute, but those things were up to speed. I knew he was a great pull-up shooter, um, and I knew he had an underrated handle. What was really encouraging, and the difference, if you looked at him pre-draft versus this guy is like a good bench energy guy versus not. Nah, this guy could be like an above-average starting guard, um, you know, a really dynamic player on offense. That difference was being able to get to the rim and finish. And it was always puzzling in college because he rarely, he always would settle for pull-ups. He liked the step back, but he's built like a truck, right? He's very strong. He's pretty quick. He can, he's thrown down some, some, you know, and his, I think the first game before this one, he had a, or earlier this season, he had a pretty good poster. He's shown the ability to get up and dunk. Um, you know, he's not going to posterize Clint Capella or something, but he, he has some vertical explosion. 
and he just hasn't last night that was what was the most encouraging thing and he did it in transition he got right by a guy and finished at the rim he had one on Alperin Sangoon where uh Shingun, who rough game from last night but i'm yeah. personally think he's a very interest, interesting player and I, i've generally been impressed this season but he had him on a mismatch took him Shingun's actually stayed with him pretty well but McBride used his length and kind of an awkward finish. He did one of those. Um, he had an OB finish where he went up, the guy went up with him. So he like went under and around, mm-hmm. um, which Obi just, I'm not saying McBride is anything going to be anything like Obi at the rim, but that was, so he did it from all angles. Uh, and then the shooting was as advertised. And then the passing ability, you know, he, he loves these one-handed passes. Um, Prez did a great breakdown on the Strickland of the G League game. He loves to throw one-handed passes. He had one sidearm, no look to Mitch in the paint. It's the kind of look that mm-hmm. guys just haven't been getting to Mitch, which is probably leading to some of his frustration. Um, and, and he had zero turnovers. So it was pretty pretty much a perfect performance and complemented very well with Emmanuel quickly. Um, you know, on his defense, my expectation is something like rookie Frank is my mm-hmm. because uh, he's going to get called for some fouls for being too handsy because he's still figuring out what he what to get away with. He's still learning which defenders he can press up and then which, like, like you know, he could press everyone in college. There's going to be guys like Schroeder, like super quick guys. Even he can't, like, press, right? So he's going to learn how to pick his battles. Like, it'll still be, like, he'll be the kind of person who flashes elite defense, I think, this year. But overall impact on defense is not going to be quite what we expect given his tools. I think that's still going to be a year away. But um, that was as encouraging as a debut as you could find. And in ways, in some ways, and this is not to pit them against each other or anything like that. I like them both, and I haven't decided who I would rather send away in a trade. But you know, in some ways, it was even more impressive than what Grimes did because Grimes relied on a very hot shooting night, whereas McBride displayed a lot of versatility on offense. Um, and I think he might be a little farther along than Grimes on defense as well, um, in, in terms of his techniques. So, uh, I don't know. What were your thoughts there? And, and I also add, like, as many PNTers or know, we've been through a lot of point guards. You know, the I remember talking myself into Ture Murray as the point guard of the future. Uh, there's still part of me that wants to buy that. Um, you know, what, what did you feel? And, how should we maybe be looking at caution? Um, you know, when people want to anoint him the next, uh, the next heir to Clyde that we've been looking for for so long. Well, I still have all my Frank Williams stock, so I am absolutely on the like. I'm looking for that savior, and it's hard to your what stock? Sorry, I didn't hear that. Frank Williams, um, <laughs> way way back in the day. Um, he had like two good games as a starter, and I was like, "That's the guy. Just give him a chance." So, I think with McBride, I am. I am vulnerable right now to investing too much in him than is probably fair because I felt watching him play, first of all, just in a narrative sense, like before he was even drafted, he's a guy that like a lot of Nick fans wanted. A lot of Nick fans were linking to Thibodeau, like this is the Thibodeau guy, like this is who you would want. When they graft, when they selected with Grimes, I was very a little down because like I just wanted McBride like more than anybody. And then they get him and he doesn't get any playing time and seeing he, he he played like competent minutes against Golden State. He played, I think, 25 minutes against the Warriors. And like he wasn't spectacular, but he wasn't out of his element. He wasn't, you know, in a guy getting literally his first real NBA exposure, he wasn't embarrassed. But last night, like you said, I don't expect him to shoot the way that he shot. But the ability for the Knicks to have at the point 
someone who can provide that kind of defensive intensity, I think especially at the point of attack. We talked last week about how important it is that the Nick big men have been struggling and how the whole defense is predicated on, you know, walling off the paint and then recovering back. But like the the defensive downgrade in the starting backcourt has been significant from last year to this. And I think that's hurt everybody. Seeing a point guard um, who really seems to love playing defense and seems really quite good at it and was able to get to the rim and have some tough finishes. I don't think last night was what you will always see out of Miles McBride. I think you're right in pointing out that the Rockets are a young team. They're not a good team. They had one eight of 10 coming into that game, but they're not, you know, they're not playoff competition, certainly. But I think after last night, I really felt, I really, this is probably jumping the gun, but I felt after last night, like, all right, now you have to make a, you, you were probably already looking to make a trade. You have to now make one of those trades where you are not taking back more rotation players than you're giving away because McBride, I think Rhymes to, to an extent has to play. And I think McBride has to play. I think the Knicks, and I think this has been happening a lot with Alec Burks. This is part of why I'm inordinately high on McBride as a point guard. The Knicks have a lot of combo guards and with, when Randall is leading the offense, it's not as essential to have a, like a real point guard out there. But I'm not sure this season if we're seeing that maybe the league has figured out the limitations of Julius Randle as someone who just leads the offense completely. And maybe Julius Randle shouldn't be averaging six assists for your team. Maybe he's much better off averaging four, but you have someone else there who can handle some of that responsibility. I think Alec Burks is miscast in that role. I think it's not Burks' fault that they're two and seven since he went into the starting lineup, but he's certainly not playing in a way that makes you think, well, he's, you know, he's immune. It's something else. He hasn't played wonderful in that position. I think Rose is best, you know, left as what he is, which is combo. Um, And I'm not sure that quickly is ready yet either for that kind of role. So I don't really see too many pure point guards on the Knicks. And if you have in McBride, a guy who you know is going to defer to other people, and you know who's going to defend his ass off, why not have more of that? Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Immune is a very interesting choice of word, given uh, what ails <laughs> most NBA players these days. I hadn't even thought of that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think my biggest problem with Burks at point guard um, is less that the offense runs through Julius. I just don't think that – there is one player on the offense who can – the one player on the team who really has the – gravitas to like make you run the offense through him with Julius on the floor and we can't play Derek Rose 48 minutes we can't really play him 30 on a consistent basis mm-hmm. um it's so um so the offense is going to run through Randall I don't think that's the issue with Burks the issue with Burks is that he's not a great enough ball handler to like there's so many times when he brings the ball up and if you give him ball pressure it takes time it takes him six seven seconds to get beyond half court and then yes. he has to turn his back and not be a threat. Um, and that's that's not a knock on Alec Burks. Most guys who are 6'6", with a 6'10", wingspan, who can shoot and score like he does, are not asked to do that. They're not asked to bring the ball up against like some 6'2", Miles McBride type. Um, so this is by no means saying that Burks shouldn't be in the rotation. Um, but, yeah, I think that... Um, you know, I, I've been... A, I think Quickly can do that fine. Um, quickly is still... You know, is your point a combo guard? 
the reality is there are very few pure point guards left in today, right? Um, Derek Rose is the purest point guard in his ability to run the offense. My issues with quickly our point are more that sometimes he tends to, when he does it, when his initial penetration doesn't result in a shot, he'll pick up his dribble, or sometimes he'll dribble out and kill the clock. Those are, I don't know if that's just point guard feel stuff. I think that's more just uh, part of his, he sometimes moves a little bit faster than his decision making. So I think that's fine. Um, I would play him with Randall because I think that my thing with the starting lineup is, and this is also a case for Deuce, and I can see either way. But I think your starting lineup is going to be Randall-centric no matter what. Uh, that has interesting implications for if you ever do want to trade a star, trade for a star down the line, can you play them next to Randall? But if that's the case, right, where you probably want to go three or four out around Randall, um, that's going to put a floor on your offense. It's never going to be that bad, but it's also going to cap the ceiling of it. So at that point, I would say, all right, you want to surround them with guys who can hit open threes, um, don't need to be in movement to, to have that rhythm and can defend. Uh, that is why I don't think what Evan Fournier gives you over a guy like even Reggie Bullock um, isn't capitalized on in a Randall-centric offense because they just don't have him move as much and they don't put him on the ball as much. But on the bench, he would get those opportunities. Um, that is why I would replace him with a guy like Grimes and I would probably... Um, and, I, and then the other option would be to move... Um, would be to move Burks off the ball, move Fournier to the bench, and then play McBride at the one. Um, there is another option that I don't think we're quite at yet, but um, you know, if RG Barrett continues to struggle, uh, that could be an option. But I think the, the the thing is this, right? In terms of trades, there are eleven guys now, um, unless you bench Fournier. They're not benching Fournier. Um, I don't think they're going to bench Burks, and I don't think they should bench Burks. Uh, and they ha- they ha- they're not going to go less than two bigs. So you have a crowded rotation. Um, and you have two veteran combo guards who, at this point, are not significantly outplaying the younger guys. So you would like to consolidate some of that in a trade. And you have the tr- contract of a guy like Nerlens Noel, who hasn't been playing that well, um, and has a guy like Jericho Sims who you might want to see more from. And then so the, the question I would bring up there... Um, as a follow-up, right? Are we at the point in the season where we can conclude that the vets are not giving you that much of a better chance than the younger guys of winning? Um, and playing them, they are probably still better players, right? Forty and Burks probably still can give you a little bit more than McBride and Grimes on a day-to-day basis. But it's not enough to justify not playing them when they also give you other skills that are building a culture in a certain way. Are we at the point of the season where we, we say, you know, let's start to try to figure out moves that, that force that issue because we're not finishing higher than seventh, if that, you know? I was surprised. Um, I did a, I, I ran a poll the other day on, on Twitter about whether Nick fans would sign up right now for a 43 and 39 record and vast, uh, over three quarters, I think, said that they would, which I thought was interesting in terms of how quickly expectations have fallen from that five and one start that already people are like, I'll take 43 wins. Um, Do you think that you mentioned the point about the starters and the struggles and the starters versus the young players. And I I had a stat I looked up yesterday. um, And last night was another example of this last night for, sorry, Burks was the only Knicks starter to finish with a positive rating. And that was the 
17th time this season that the Knicks have had four or five starters not have a positive rating, which is about 60% of the time. Last season, I went through every game and checked this, it was 39% of the time. So numbers can be bent in all kinds of ways, and like you can win a game and have your, your starters play that way, particularly given how great the bench is. But I think to your point about starters versus bench, there's the the practical level of like Leon Rose gave Julius Randle a very large extension. He gave Evan Fournier one of the bigger contracts that the Knicks have handed out in a while. Um, if you include the the final year option at seventy eight million, um, a lot of front offices aren't going to go with the rookies over the veterans, even if the rookies are playing better because they've made these moves and they want the moves to pay off. And blah, blah. we don't. I don't think we've really seen. We've never seen Leon Rose and the Knicks in this position where, you know, you maybe you have to make a choice between one or the other. Have you, do you have any vibe about whether you think this organization would give the rookies like, here you go? Or do you think, look, man, we're spending a lot of money. We'll, we'll wait for these starters to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good point. Um, I think one thing that I, I would imagine I have a good I, I have a better idea of. So with McBride and Grimes playing so much, like there's been a like half of Twitter is like, oh my God, they're so good. And then the other half of Nick's Twitter has been like SMH, why haven't they been playing so far? Tibbs has got to go, right? He's killing their development. And it's like, well they didn't play so far this year. And as soon as they came in, they lit it on fire. And by the way, if you looked at garbage time earlier this year, McBride was a work in progress, right? So at the very least, you can say play, keeping them on the bench has not hurt their development. There's an argument it's probably made them even sharper. So I think that, you know, this has been an ongoing source of debate, right? Like Mike Miller played Frank fewer minutes, but he put him in a better position. And right. that was probably the best stretch of Frank Milikina's career, right? So more, more minutes, I, I would love to see some data around it. Um, I'm not sure that more minutes are, are a bigger role on ball or whatever means more development for a guy like Devin Booker sometimes throwing him reps on ball even if it wasn't a good idea or led to good basketball in the beginning ended up obviously paying tons of dividends for them in other cases it doesn't um so I think that that would at least that part of the equation I think doesn't come out um I think that but I think that this is an office where a front office where Brock Aller has a lot of say and if at the trade deadline you feel like um you are not, there is not a huge delta between what you're getting from playing the vets and what you're getting from playing the younger players in terms of being able to, I think the, the, I think the ideal situation would be now you're comfortable in Grimes and McBride as changes of pace and depth, but Fournier figures it out. They move maybe Fournier to the bench or give him more minutes where he can play off on ball. Um, they insert one of Grimes or McBride as like a defensive addition it shores it up, and the Knicks somehow are able to get um, beyond the play-in, right? Mm. Um, or at least in the play-in and, and win. Um, but then there's another level where that doesn't really happen. They stay basically this team, and they miss the play-in. Then there's something in the middle where they're a play-in team, but it's not something you really feel good about. And then you're like, okay, but we're going into this into next year with basically this rotation. We're probably not going to make any additional moves unless we trade for a star. Um, uh, you know, 
at what point do we force Tibbs's hand and do we move Burks and Fournier, right? Um, I, so, I, so to get back to your question, I don't necessarily think that the front office is married to Fournier is the guy, um, you know, and we need it to work out like that. Um, I think it's more they have structured all of these contracts with options and in such a way where they're tradable. For yeah. Fournier, he becomes more tradable next year where he'll only have another year left. Um, but Burks is a $10 million contract. Noel is a $10 million contract. So the question becomes, will they be, would they be willing to move? And that's the thing. I think Benji made, Benji Ritholtz made this point this morning where Fournier's contract may be tougher to move. Burks is a valuable player, um, with a translatable skill set that you can plug and play on a veteran or sorry, on a, on a contender teams will want him. If he fetches you a pick, is that worth it? Um, that's one route to go. Another route to go would be, can we move Burks and Noel for someone like a Miles Turner? Uh, and then the question I would have at that point is, um, is does that move the needle enough? Or um, the real, so yeah, so I think more than the idea of they need these free agent acquisitions to work out, I think the front office is thinking more in terms of when do we, um, when are we willing to move some of these tradable contracts? Is it for just an upgrade in talent? Or is it for, are we saving it for like the Dame Lillard move or the Donovan Mitchell move or something like that, right? Um, and is that move out there? And I think that's more the question of the front office in terms of making a move. Would you say at this point in the season, you feel more positive about how the young players in the bench have played or more disappointed in how the veterans and the starters have played? Um, I would say more positive in the bench. Um, I think quickly taking a leap on defense is been really good and taking another step I think as a passer and a decision maker um, I know people are a little down on his shooting but he's shooting 27% from the corner that's just not going to happen Like I, I'm willing to take the bet that that gets like he shot 40% from the corner last year I'm willing to take the bet that that's going to improve um, his above the break shooting has gone down but he's also experimenting more with shot creation so that's not even uh, so I'm happy with his growth Obi has been a revelation uh, and from a year ago where people were talking like he's a bust, now I think everyone's pretty happy with that draft pick. And then, yeah, I mean, people have been mentioning this, but you have two guys drafted 25 or later who have come on and had mass been positively impacted the winning games. Um, in Grimes' case, they didn't win, but he was a key reason it was even close. Um, you have Jericho Sims, who has shown at least one good performance and shown a pretty shown like he can hang. And then you have a guy lighting it up in Europe, right? Um, and then, um, and then the G League seems to be good, right? Like McBride, it seemed to help him. Uh, if you look at the tape, he ran a lot of pick and rolls. It really helped his comfort on ball. They have a guy named Luka Samanic who's really playing down well down there. He actually won Player of the Week over McBride, and he, he has been leading the team in scoring. Um, and why does that matter more? Because long term, the reality is we weren't winning a championship this year, right? So, like in this version of the Julius Randle-centric Knicks is a stopgap until we either turn these young assets into a star or um, or they, one of them becomes a star, right? Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more from RJ, but he's been dealing with some issues, so I'm willing, that's not too disappointing. Uh, and yeah, like it sucks to hear it on Twitter because we were more optimistic on Fournier and Kemba than obviously other people were. But long-term, these aren't crippling contracts. Um, we didn't invest a ton in this off season, um, that like, you know, we didn't trade draft picks. 
So like, yeah, like the future is bright. That matters more. And it's not like we lost a chance at a ring or like the, I was the expectation. So one thing that was interesting and it was, as you said earlier, off air, it was out of necessity, but in the first and third quarter, Mitchell Robinson and Taj Gibson played some minutes together, which is not a look that we see a lot. And what I found interesting looking at the numbers after the game is that while particularly Mitch and Taj, but also Mitch and Obi Toppin have not played a lot of minutes together, their net rating is like very positive. Mitch and Julius Randle are the fourth most common two-man lineup this season for the Knicks, and their net rating going into last night was minus 11.1, I think. So there's it's it's hard to compare, you know, the fourth most common lineup to two of the least most seen lineups. But I thought it was interesting last night, just a times seen you know, times on offense where Mitch could play off of like Taj was a little more active getting the ball down low and, and trying to to do some things on offense, and that commanded attention from another defender and that left Mitchell Robinson free to hit the offensive glass in a way that he's not always as free to do. Otherwise, um, do you make anything of Mitch playing better at times with in very limited action with Toppin and Taj versus Randall? Do you think that's a sign that we need less Mitch and Randall for some reason, or more of these other lineups? Yeah. Um, at least with Taj, I think that that's going to be a better defensive lineup. Um, Let's start with that, um, because Rand, uh, Mitch has been worse on the defensive glass. He became an elite defensive rebounder last year. This year, he has because of the lack of uh, energy, whatever it is, conditioning, uh, he's become he hasn't been really much better than Nose Noel, and, and Taj has been a better defensive rebounder than him. Uh, some of Mitch's gambles and lack in poor rotations, Taj can both cover for some of that and. That gives you that on-court leadership that perhaps, you know, we, we Mitch has talked about Taj kind of being a mentor to him. So maybe that helps. But on offense, I think the bigger difference is that when when Randall's on the floor, the offense goes through him. And, um, you know, he likes it at that elbow. And then Mitch is kind of in the dunker spot. And if they do run pick and roll with Randall, he's not usually run, looking to, to lob it. Um, and, and then when they run pick and roll with Alec Burks, he's not as great at finding uh, Mitchell Robinson on mobs, right? And, and Kemba also, we, we saw, was struggling earlier in the season. Um, so and so we saw, like, I don't think this was the right way to go about it, whatever, but Mitch, before last game, or after the, the previous game, before the Rockets game, you know, he's been posting stuff on Instagram. Personally, I think it's a little immature and it's, it's a little bit concerning, but he asked, you know, he, he was saying that I'm running out there doing cardio, I'm not getting any lobs. He expressed frustration, and then last night he played a lot more, more with McBride and quickly, and the lobs came. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think when he's played with Rose, he also gets more opportunities. But when he plays with that starting lineup, which, as you mentioned, does not have someone who's comfortable throwing those kind of passes or playing that kind of a game, uh, his best talent on offense gets wasted. They don't really throw him the ball in the post. In, McBride did yesterday, but that isn't something they do. Mm-hmm. So with Randall, he basically is just staying in the dunker spot. And you know, if it's a if it's if Randall drives, which he has been doing more this year, that's going to open up some opportunities for for Mitch. But for the most part, that's it. Randall Mitch gets some opportunities on the offensive glass when Randall drives. But if it's a jump shot or if it's like a drive and kick, 
those are just fewer opportunities for Mitch. Whereas with the bench, with he gets used more as a roller. And because Taj, like the Knicks are comfortable sticking him in the corner and having them shoot threes, um, that became pretty dangerous, um, a dangerous uh, thing to defend. Last thing I'll say with that is, um, in general, I think that the key is the bigger key than Randall, though. Um, even though I think that there are there is some rhyme to what you mentioned that you know the Randall heavy offense can be not great for Mitch. I think that bottom line they need to run pick they need to put him in pick and roll and they need guys who are capable of threatening the defensive shooters as well as finding him. With Burks, he likes to pull up all the time, but with Quickly and McBride, um, they are able to find him. Uh, on mobs as well as pull up and with rose his pull up game isn't quite as good from three but because of how much pressure he can put up the rim even if mitch isn't scoring um rose is the best at taking advantage of the attention he draws and making sure he can finish. so you need to play him with one of those three guys and if you want to say mcbride is too soon fine but you need to play him with those guys and have him run pick and roll um for him to be really effective and he just tends to do less of that with randall out there partly because the offense goes through Randall more and partly because we've been playing Randall with Burks a lot more. And um, that's not really Burks's forte. So who, who would you like to see start alongside Randall in the front court? What do you think is the best fit for him? Or is there one? Um, I think just to space out the lineups a little bit better. Um, no, you know what? I'm going to say... You can say Obi if you want to. I, I'm going to say Taj right now. The way Taj Gibson looked last night, yeah, I, I felt for most of the season it looks like Father Time is finally catching him. Mm-hmm. Last night it did not look like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great last night. Yeah. Um, I would say Taj, especially since I don't think Mitch should be getting more than 22 minutes right now for his conditioning. I think that was another good thing that happened last night in the fourth quarter. He was fresh and dominated. So I think Taj, um, I would start Noel because he's right now a little bit of a better defender than Mitch in terms of being able to switch out and protect. And um, They're pretty equal still as rim protectors. Mitch has been allowing a low field goal percentage at the rim, but Noel's mobility should help that starting lineup. Um, but I think the backcourt is even more important. Um, I would prefer to just go three strong with good defenders. So RJ is going to start, and that's fine. Um, I don't mind starting Burks. I'm actually pretty... I think they should uh, give some more spacing. And then either I would start IQ. Um, I, I would probably start IQ um, personally. But Deuce had a case as well. Um, I think IQ is going to be a little bit more consistent on defense and make fewer poor plays on defense. But Bright, McBride is McBride has more potential and is probably going to make more um, big plays. Uh, but either of them would help shore up that starting lineup defense. And then you move Fournier to the bench where he can be in more of a playmaking role. Um, you use Mitch on the bench where he can play with Derek Rose uh, and potentially McBride and, um, you know, and play in more space and have more lob opportunities. That's how I would see it. Uh, and then, like, the reality is, like, since Noel doesn't do much on offense anyway, mm-hmm. um, like to whatever extent the offense may be more stagnant is fine because we're still going to mostly be Randall drawing doubles and kicking out the shooters in a stagnant way, which, you know, the, the that lineup is fine at handling that. And, you know, the difference between Mitch and Noel on offense doesn't offset 
you're probably better off letting Mitch get the most out of Mitch on the bench and then playing Noel for somewhat superior defense. So I'd probably start Noel or Gibson at the moment, unless Mitch really can, you know, drop more weight, get into better shape, and then find a way to assert himself even with the starting lineup. Last question I have for you is about we last time we discussed Miles Turner. The latest trade rumor is Eric Gordon, who we saw last night against the Knicks. He's had a very good run of play recently. He's 33 years old. Um, a couple questions. I asked this earlier today on the Twitter. I don't see how Gordon comes to the Knicks unless Fournier leaves because I don't, I can't see where the Knicks fit another combo guard on this bench unless you just want to be able to throw out IQ, Rose, Burks, Gordon, and someone else. Like, I can't see Fournier starting. Gordon is a better defender than Fournier. Um, he's a little bit older. Um, he's been a good shooter on some very good teams. What do you make of Eric Gordon and what he, how his fit might be with this team? Or is he someone that you don't think really addresses any of the Knicks' core needs? Yeah, part of the um, part of the fascination with Gordon, I believe Tyrese mentioned this, is his contract. Um, which, um, so he has, he's making 18 million this year. There are two more years. Um, so it would, it would fit pretty well with Fournier's contract, but then next year, if they do want to trade for a star, um, that becomes a more valuable contract, right? Um, so that could be part of their thinking, uh, in terms of meeting a need, um, they have a lot of. He might help your defense a little bit. I've never been a. I've always felt Eric Gordon's defense is a little bit overrated. Um, one thing Schwinn has mentioned this on, on our pod. Uh, one thing he gives you that even a guy like Alec Burks or Fournier don't give you is like that true four point range. You know, I think that's sure. from his years under Mori Ball, but he's willing to pull up from. Really, the only player who does that is quickly mm-hmm. um, from like deep like logo level, mm-hmm. uh, and quick. And he's probably going to be better at that than quickly right is right now. Uh, those would be what he brings to you. Um, the downside is Houston. I mean, I don't know that they would have so much interest in Fournier. They might have interest in Burks because he's a productive player on a good contract. Um, but personally, I, I mean, I would rather be. I would rather trade for for a wing or a. So yeah, Eric Gordon is a wing, um, but I would. But, but he's six three, right? He so yeah. he really plays up. I would rather trade for a prototypical wing. Um, and um, or 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 a guy like Miles Turner. So we talked about who's the best guy to start next to Randall. Uh, Miles Turner is not only I think the perfect skill set, but he also happens to be from Dallas and works out with Randall in the offseason. Yeah. So um, so I would rather make that trade. But I think what is more intriguing to the Knicks is Gordon's contract to be used in future star trades. Um, and so I would think that would be and if then you know if the the Rockets have some interest in someone like Kevin Knox or something, mm-hmm. um, they might want to do that. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think the front office sees like a need to play the young guys for their development. If anything, like the fact that they've come off the bench and shined probably validates that. Um, so does 40 have to go? I think ideally you do like create room on the roster and send out a, a two guard or send out a combo guard, but they're not, they're not sending out Grimes and McBride for Eric Gordon. Um, I think they would there would be pitchforks outside MSG if they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't know that it's worth it to send Burks. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I think that if they did, though, the, the contract would be a big factor in why they would want to do that. 
Just to follow up on your answer, are there any examples of this kind of wing that you're thinking about, either available or just a prototype of who it is that you're thinking? What kind of player? Yeah, a player like Jermichael Green. Um, I think Michael Bridges, I think, is the archetype of that. Um, as you know, an elite defender, a great shooter who can create a little bit for himself. Um, you know, in the rookie class, Franz Wagner is kind of living up to that a little bit. Mm. Uh, but those, but you know, someone. I think the difference between even someone like Quentin Grimes is that Quentin Grimes, I think, is six four with a six eight wingspan, so he can guard threes, right? Um, but when you're talking about a guy with like a seven foot wingspan who's six six, six seven, six eight. Who can shoot over closeouts? Um, who can guard two through four? Um, Wilson Chandler was kind of an early version of this player, right? Uh, he was always a player I think was underrated on the Knicks, and I was pretty disappointed when they traded him. Yeah, um, that kind of player is who they hoped Kevin Knox would become, and it was encouraging. And so, real quick on Kevin Knox, a lot of people have been saying, "Well, he's another young guy who played well. He hit some threes, but the game he played." He also had the worst plus minus on the team. He was a minus 17 in a game that they lost by less than that. So, and that goes to show you that at this point, he really is, he's kind of Steve Novak, right? Like he's 6'9, he can shoot over, and it's a gorgeous stroke, yeah. but he doesn't really get to the rim. He's, he misses box outs, he gets back cut on defense, and he isn't agile enough to really guard threes. He's not strong enough or doesn't place physical to guard fours. If he, get, if he bulks up, or if he gets in an environment, new change of scenery gets him to commit and learn things and get to a better level. He has some talent, but it just it doesn't seem like it's happening here. And I don't think he doesn't get game reps is the excuse because it's been four years. So yeah, it's funny because when you describe the kind of player you're looking for, I remember uh, a recent Nick who was no longer on the team who had a very long wingspan for a wing, almost a seven foot span, and he could certainly guard two through four. And fit a lot of what you're talking about. Um, shout out Frank Nilakina, gone but not forgotten, never forgotten. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> it's um, that is the. I mean, even he is a little smaller though, right? Than yeah, yeah, I yeah. think the ideal version of this player. Yeah, you're the talking like six eight, six nine. Yeah, the ideal player is someone with Kevin Knox's physical proportions, mm-hmm. um, who knows how to play basketball. That's and shoots like Kevin Knox. That's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, um, but overall, like I think yesterday, I think yesterday was a good reminder that this may be a come down from last year, this season. Um, but the Knicks don't need to do anything drastic right now. The clock isn't really ticking in any meaningful way. And uh, the long-term trajectory is still improving when you see the kind of value they, they've been able to find in the draft. So Nick's next game will be tomorrow, and when you're going to hear this, will be Saturday um, in Boston, a rematch of the season opener, um, and a chance for the Knicks to beat one of the teams who is close to them in the standings. That will be all for today's episode of Believe Nick's podcast, but we will be back sometime next week to talk about the Celtic game and maybe the upcoming schedule. Um, the holiday week features the Knicks hosting the Pistons and the Wizards. And then on Christmas Day, they will play at noon against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and I'm sure Trey Young will get some reaction when he steps onto the court. So, um, for Stacey Patton, Matthew Miranda, thank you for joining us for this episode. And we will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.